Welcome to the New Hope Sermon of the Week. We hope you are encouraged by this message by our special guest speaker. Well, what I feel like God wants us to uh, discuss this morning, talk about this morning, is we're going to be talking about building up healthy prophetic communities in the local church. Building up healthy prophetic communities in the local church. And if you were here last week, uh, Pastor Tom, he talked about, he kind of began to prophesy in this house and he began to explain uh, what he felt like the Holy Spirit was going to do in this place over 2019. He says 2019 is going to be the year of freedom unlike any before. And I, I heard that and I grabbed that and I said yes to that. And I just felt like that we needed to talk about what New Testament prophecy is all about and maybe what the office of a prophet is all about. But before we really dive into the real thing, I feel like we need to take a few moments and talk about what it's not. Because what happens is anytime God reintroduces an intended truth for his body or for his church, what we do as humans is there's a wave of truth, there's a wave of fresh revelation that comes to the body, but what happens is when man gets involved, it becomes a tsunami wave, and instead of refreshing and reviving the church, it ends up hurting people when man gets a hold of it. And what, what I've seen is through the renewal of the Pentecostal movement, and really Pentecost happened 2,000 years ago, but there was kind of like hundreds of years of, of, of dry areas and dry places in the dispensation until we're at right now. And what I've seen is over the last about 150 years from the Second Great Awakening, God is beginning to pour out His Spirit again on hungry people. But when we get a hold of that and we put man's tradition into that, it turns into a tsunami wave and then people become repulsed by what God gave to His church, something that's supposed to be good and not evil. Amen? And the thing is, it's like, we hear the terms prophet, and we hear the terms apostle, and, 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 and it, for some of us, it makes us go, oh, it kind of rubs us the wrong way, because men that have had that gift and walk in that office have abused that power and hurt the people that they're supposed to be ministering to and healing around them, right? So let's talk about what it's not first. So if you have your Bibles Go to Matthew chapter 7, and we are going to look at verse 13. Matthew chapter 7, this is the famous sermon on the mount. And Jesus is teaching not just his disciples, but the multitudes that are coming to hear his teaching, to see what this guy is all about. Scholars called the Sermon on the Mount the New Testament Constitution for the Believer. I love this, because it's how to be led by the Spirit. Right? Look at what he says in verse 13. Enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And many who go in by it. But narrow is the gate, difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. 
Essentially what he's doing is he's introducing the narrow way and the narrow gate, which is himself, and the process that believers undergo to turn into a leader. So the narrow gate is Jesus. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. But there's a path and there's a way after the gate that leads to life. And I believe what he's doing, he's introducing what a true leader in the church is going to undergo. Look what he says in verse 15. Then he says, beware of false prophets. Very interesting. He goes from gate to way, and then he introduces false prophets. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. Can everyone just say wolf? I want everybody in the house to say it. One, two, three. Yeah, wolf. You will know them by their fruits. I heard somebody howl. Huh? You will know them by their fruits. It's all right. It's a place of freedom, 2019. All right? But let's not howl. Amen? Okay. All right. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit. But a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits you will know them. Then, verse 21, is right after verse 19 and 20. Amen? But what we do is we take the next few verses and we apply them to salvation. Jesus is not talking about salvation right here. He's talking about beware of false prophets. Look at verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me, who's many? Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied? Prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name, and then I, will depart to, then I will declare to them, I never knew you, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. This is not a salvation issue. This is leadership in the church that are operating and trespassing in an office that Jesus Christ did not appoint them into. Many will say to me on that day, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonderful works? That word works is dunamis. It's power in your name. But Jesus will say, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. This is amazing when you begin to dissect it and reflect on it and think about it because Jesus says you will know false prophets not by their works but by their fruits. There's a, different, there's a difference between works and fruit. Works is prophesying, casting out devils, working in power. But fruits is what you reproduce in the kingdom. Does a bad tree produce good fruit? No. A bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree produces good fruit. And if you notice, what does he compare false prophets to? Wolves. If you did a word study there and you looked up ravenous, it's literally the word we get for rapture, which means to pull away 
to seize away. And if you look at the root of the word wolf, it actually means white light. So the poetry in the Greek is beware of false prophets or beware of people that seize you and pull you away from the light to their light. Meaning that God is saying beware of leaders that convince you that you need them more than you need God. Do you want to know what a true prophet's job is? To prophesy himself out of a job. Is to so have a relationship with Jesus that he's producing fruit all around him, sons and daughters, and he's giving them the phone so that they can hear God on their own. But what does a wolf do? There's an alpha and he has to have a pack around him. He's a carnivore. He feeds on flesh and he feeds on carnality. And the thing is, there's never two alphas in the same pack. And there will never be two false prophets in the same house because they can't coexist. They'll kill each other. But what Jesus is saying is, there's a process that leadership has to go through in my house. Narrow is the gate. Narrow is the way that leads to life. And then he introduces this mode of leadership that he says you got to look out for. This is the thing. The local church needs to be prophetic. You might say, I'm not prophetic. You are absolutely prophetic. Why? Because the church was prophesied in Isaiah chapter 2 and Joel chapter 2. And if you are a member of the body and Jesus Christ is the chief apostle and prophet of the body. And you are, if you are cornerstones, members connected to the cornerstone, then you are automatically prophetic by nature. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, let them all prophesy. Let them all prophesy. What is he meaning? He's saying you need to surround yourself with people that can pull out the purpose and promise within. There is nothing like having a prophetic group of people around you in dark times. See, the word, the word prophecy, pro in Greek, means to come forward. And then it's fatia, where the root is phos. It's literally meaning to pull out the light and the counsel of God in dark times in your life. And what you're doing is you're saying, hey, look, I know you're going through a dark time. I know you're going through a confusing time. I know your child is not serving God. I know your husband's addicted. I know you've gone through divorce recently. But if you could understand that God has a promise inside of you that he wants to pull out of you. And if you can understand his plan is to prosper you and your family, to give you a hope and a future, Hold on to Jesus. Don't let go. And I promise you all things work together for good to them that love him and are called according to his purpose. I probably just prophesied to about 80% 80 of the people in this house. All of us are going through things. All of us are going through struggles. All of us are going through things that are attached to us that we've prayed to 
the Father multiple times, and it's like we can't come out of this season. That's why we have to be prophetic. That's why we have to be encouraging. Paul says New Testament prophecy is encouraging, and it's edifying, and it's comforting, meaning it's going to build up the people around you. It's going to comfort them when they're depressed, and it's going to call them near when they want to walk away. We have to have that operating in the house. We have to have that operating in the house. A church without a prophetic word is a church that's dying. All you got to do is read 1 Samuel chapter 3. It says the word was rare in those days. There was no widespread revelation because the priesthood had grown dim. They could not see And there was no prophets in the land. But God was hiding a prophet by the name of Samuel that spent more time in the presence of God than he did in the carnality of man. He wanted to hear the counsel of God more than he wanted to hear anything else. And the Lord appeared to Samuel. And the Bible says that the presence of God appeared again to Shiloh because there was a prophet that had been established by the Lord. We're supposed to be a prophetic church, but a lot of times we shy away from that because we've been hurt by leadership that possibly their motivation was wrong, or possibly they didn't even know their motivation was wrong, possibly that they were literally being influenced by the wrong spirit. And this is the thing, you have to be careful Because if you look at most New Testament false prophets, they were right. And even a broken clock is right twice a day. And remember, you can't look at their works. You look at the fruit. What are they reproducing? Do they have sons and daughters around them? Can the people around them hear God? Can the people around them have their own relationship with God without them? That is why New Hope has such a strict stance on discipleship. Raising up the next generation to be strong in the Lord in the power of his might. Raising up the next generation to be mature with the baton of Jesus Christ so that they too can go out and make disciples. Discipleship is not just a one generation thing. It's a, multi- it's, it's a multiple generation reality. All right, go to Ephesians chapter So how does discipleship and equipping happen in the local church? Ephesians chapter 4, we will start at verse 7. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7. This is Paul writing to the church at Ephesus, and he says in this portion, this text, he says, but to each one of us grace, can everyone say grace? To each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this he ascended, what does it mean but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth. 
He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, some teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry. This is the key. For the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. What is that saying? That's saying that Christ Jesus, before he ascended on high, he literally descended into hell took captivity captive, and he gave every single one of us gifts. And these gifts are actually people that he appoints to us to help build us up. And remember what he said in verses 10 and 11. He says, the purpose of the fivefold ministry is to build up the church of Jesus Christ till we all come to the unity of the faith. So you have to ask yourself this one question. Does the church, as I see it, is everyone mature and perfect like Jesus Christ? Absolutely not. So the purpose of the fivefold ministry is so every single person in the church literally looks like Jesus Christ. So until every single person looks like Jesus Christ, in perfection, in behavior, and in attitude, literally Jesus has give, given us manifestations of himself as the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, and the teacher to build us up into him. So when the world sees one of you, they see Jesus and they say, I want that. I want that. But what we've done is we've embraced the teacher and the pastor, and the evangelist, but we've said no to the prophet and apostle because that's weird. But this is what I've realized. When you say no to the apostle and prophet, you say no to a manifestation of Jesus. That should be weighty. But the problem is, what has is, what is men done? What, is, what, what do men do? They take a hold of that, and then they use it to lord it over and to abuse, and notice how I says that God gives these gifts to us, not over us. Do you know in the church there's only one head and his name is Jesus Christ? We talk about coverings, this is my cup covering. Listen, there's not, it's not in there. There's one head, Jesus Christ. And then there's people that he sends in your life to grow you up into him. Listen, the purpose of the fivefold ministry is sent into your life to unlock areas of arrested development. That means God sends you people with keys to your heart and he sends them to you, not to lord over you, but to unlock promise and potential that you don't see. But when we say no to those things, we're saying no to growth, and we're saying no to purpose, and literally what we're doing is we're cutting our knees off our future. 
God sends us people to unlock arrested development so we'll mature. So we have to embrace this stuff in the house. We have to embrace this stuff in the local church to equip us for the work of the ministry. Let me show you something real quick. And then I got one more scripture and then we'll end. Okay, go to Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27. This is when Jesus died. Remember, it says in Ephesians 4 that before he ascended, he descended, and he took captivity captive, and he gave gifts unto men. Look what happened when he died in verse 51 of Matthew chapter 27. Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth quaked, the rocks were split. Look what happened in verse 52. And the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. This is crazy. And coming out of the graves after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. Look what happened in verse 54. So when the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and the things that had happened, what things? The Old Testament saints getting out of the grave, they fear greatly saying, truly this was the Son of God. You have, to ha you have to understand what's happening here. The Romans perfected the art of crucifixion. It came from the Greeks. The Romans perfected it. People, people wonder, they said, well, if these centurions, if these Roman guards had literally crucified thousands and thousands and thousands of criminals... What was, what was unlike any other of the past crucifixions they had ever done when it came in regards to Jesus' crucifixion? And this was it. And this is the key here. When Jesus died, we understand that the veil was rent from top to bottom. The presence of God, the throne of God was now accessible to all of us. But there's a deeper reality here because Jesus went through the process of biblical leadership, of descending before he ascended, right? Look what happened when he ascended. All of the dead people around him began to get up and walk around. That's what happens when we go through the biblical model of legitimate leadership in the house. Is literally, we all want to ascend before we descend, but the thing is, if Jesus had to descend into hell to take captivity captive, and if there are many of us in here that are called along the same journey, the same road of the fivefold ministry, what makes us think that it would be any different for us? That in order to ascend with Jesus, we're going to have to descend with Jesus. But see, it's not all about the descending in leadership. It's not all about the process. When we become a full age in process, all we have to look around us and see the people in the tombs coming and walking around around us. See, that's what happens when we go through the process. The people around us get edified, they get resurrected, they get healed, and be people begin to rise up at the as the body of Christ, and then unbelievers say there's something about, different about that person. There's something different about that person. So what does that look like 
in the local church, what does that look like at New Hope when we have people that say, you know what, I want to go through the process, and you know what, I want this house to be a healthy house of prophetic declaration. First, we got to descend as leaders to go through the process, but then as believers, we have to understand that people's testimonies around us are actually the key to our future. And this is, the, listen, this is the perfect blur for what we're doing in the fall. We're coming together for small groups. We're coming together. You should hear this guy. If you've never listened to Louis Giglio, you need to listen to him. This is one of the best teachers of our generation. He pastors a church called Passion Church in Atlanta, Georgia. He was actually Andy Stanley's best friend growing up. And they both have big, large churches in Atlanta. And he's doing a, um, it's on Right Now Media. It's on a series on Colossians. And that's why our pastors want everyone to get involved. It's because they understand that when we come together to study God's word, there's something more that happens in that place when we study God's word. We come together as a prophetic community to build one another up in that small group. That's why small groups are so important. That's why when we come together as a prophetic community in this house, it's so important because there are no lone rangers, there's no lone wolves in the kingdom of God. The enemy wants to isolate you. He wants you to go into solitude. He wants you, he wants you to live by yourself unprotected from a community of believers that can testify their story over your story to give you breakthrough. What does that look like? What does that look like? Go to Revelation chapter 19, verse 10. Revelation chapter 19, verse 10. This is the disciple or the apostle John. And I love how he got to Patmos. You guys are going to like this. Let me just take about 60 seconds and tell you how he got to Patmos. This isn't in the Bible, but these are legitimate secondary sources that his disciples, Ironius and Polycarp, were disciples of the apostle John. They wrote this in the second century that the reason why he was on the island of Patmos is because the Romans brought him into a coliseum to kill him because that's what they did. They made sport of the Christians that refused to deny Jesus. And listen to what they did. They put him in a cauldron of boiling oil, but they couldn't kill him. They couldn't kill him, so what they do? They banished him to Patmos. You know what that speaks to me? That if God says your story is not over yet, not even the devil can kill you. Because see, God knew this, and I don't even know if he knew this, but God's like, I'm about to give you a revelation of Jesus Christ. And you haven't written it yet. And I understand it's going to be hard, and you're going to be banished and exiled to a land called Patmos. But that's where you're going to see me high and lifted up. That's why they couldn't kill you. Listen to what he says in chapter 19, verse 10. 
Let's start at verse 9, actually. Revelation chapter 19, verse 9. Then he said to me, Write, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, See that you do not do that. I am your fellow servant and of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. That's what he says. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. God. See, there's four types of prophetic utterances. There's the word of prophecy. There's the gift of prophecy. There's the spirit of prophecy. And then there's the office of a prophet. Don't have time to go into those. But he's talking about the spirit of prophecy right here. The spirit of prophecy has to do with an atmosphere. And when the spirit of prophecy is so thick and so weighty over a house, it doesn't matter who walks in, they can prophesy. That's what happened in 1 Samuel chapter 10. The servants of Saul were coming in to kill David. And as they were coming in to destroy David, there was a father by the name of Samuel that had a school of the prophets that had such cultivated an atmosphere of prophecy and of edification and encouragement. And it didn't matter what enemy of David's came in. They literally dropped their swords and they began to prophesy over David. I love that. What do you think they were saying? They, um, you got to see the big picture here. His enemy was coming in to kill them, kill him dropped their swords, and probably began to prophesy over him taking the throne. The spirit of prophecy. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Let me tell you what I believe that means. The testimony of Jesus, that word testimony means witness. The witness of Jesus in your life is the atmosphere of prophecy. So you ready for this one? If I testify of my deliverance from my past, that becomes your prophecy. My testimony becomes your prophecy, right? So all you have to do is find a, a group of people, right, that have some testimonies. And I like it when different people in the same place have different testimonies of breakthrough, I like having an ex-addict in there and then him prophesying of his deliverance and then that prophecy becomes someone else's testimony. And if you need that in your life, all you gotta do is grab that for yourself. I like it when someone in that group has a financial breakthrough, when they thought that everything they had was lost and they were gonna have to file bankruptcy, but in the last minute of the last hour of the day, Jesus came blowing in and radically transformed their situation and they testified about that and then another individual said I need that that's my prophecy and then someone else you have a mom that's in mourning you have a mom that's grieving over a son that maybe has been taken from this earth way too early and the grief from that moment has paralyzed her spiritual relationship with the Lord. And, and she can't even look up into people's eyes anymore because of the loss and the pain. And then someone else that's gone through that same tragedy 
five years before has testified that, yes, it's painful. Yes, it's hard. Yes, it seems like there's going to be no morning and no light after the great night of the soul. But she says, you know what? In the moment of the most utmost grief I've ever felt in my life is the moment that Jesus came in with peace that surpassed all understanding. And I really can't even teach it. I, can't, I can tell you about it. But I know through my experience and my testimony of declaring to you that it happened, I don't even know how it happened, you can reach up in that atmosphere where the spirit of prophecy is flowing and you can grab that for your own. Come on. Everyone stand up in this house this morning. Pastor Dan, if you can come up. Hallelujah. So the ministry of the prophetic is simply this. It's to build up and bring healing to people and to reveal the heart and loving intents of God and bringing clarity and purpose in their present and future. It's not the magic ball of God. It's not that when we were kids, you know, that magic eight ball and we grab it to see what's to come. Prophecy touches on the future, yes. But I'm telling you, in the moment that you need it the most, it brings that river and that rush of healing when you surround yourself with leaders that are operating in that flow and you, and you surround yourself with brothers and sisters in a community that can testify of what Jesus has done in their life. And the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy and their testimony becomes your prophecy. That's why it's so important to have a fellowship. That's why it's so important to have an assembly. That's why it's so important that no matter what we go through, we actually open ourselves up and be vulnerable and transparent not just in our home, but in our church. So I'm just going to ask for the pastors and the elders and the prayer team to come up here. I just feel like maybe we need to do a little bit of intercession and prayer this morning. We're not going to keep you long, just for a few minutes. And maybe you said, you know what, I, I, I need a word. I need someone to join me, with me in prayer. I just need some peace about my situation. I need some clarity about my situation. The beauty of the word of the living God is this. He says, if two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. So if you say, you know what, I need someone to agree with me about something that I'm going through. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a personal issue. Maybe it's sickness in your body. Maybe it's a report. Maybe it's a not-so-good prophecy that you've heard from a doctor. Let me tell you something about the grace of Jesus. Truth always trumps facts. So if you need prayer this morning and you need some leaders to join with you in prayer, just come on up this morning and let's... Let's seek Jesus. Let's
Let's join. Let's be the church. Let's not just say we're the church. Let's be the church this morning. And as people come, let's just worship and let's just saturate this atmosphere with the presence of the Lord. And when that happens, the word of the Lord becomes very near. Amen. Thank you for joining us for the New Hope Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast or other resources, visit newhopeonline.com.